Uh, I want you to turn your Bibles. Suzanne's going to come and, and read the scripture this morning. First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verses 1 to 14. And we have Bibles if you need them. So, so just raise a hand and our, uh, our ushers would be able to get a Bible into your hand. But uh, thank you, Suzanne. Why don't everybody stand for the reading of God's word? Uh, sorry. Yeah. This is from 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 14. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the inter interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of the one part, but of many. Thanks, man. You may have a seat. Well, I got to say... Uh, it is actually great to be here this morning. I wondered about that. I had serious questions uh, earlier this week as to my capacity for speaking this Sunday since most of my week got like absorbed by a nasty flu bug. Anybody got the flu this week? It seemed like everyone I knew got the flu actually. Maybe that was the deal. It's not the worst sick I ever was, but it felt like it. You know, anybody know that? I, I remember years ago um, having the stomach flu as a, as a young man, and I was so sick for about a week that I thought I was going to die. And so in my brain, I was crafting like goodbye letters to my family members, you know? So I, I guess I wasn't that sick this week. I was crafting no letters in my brain. I wasn't thinking about anyone but myself. Anyway, we're starting a new series today called Gifts, How God Uses Us, How God Uses His Church to Change the World. The series is really about following in the ways of Jesus, especially with regards to Jesus' instructions, His teaching, and, and how He modeled this whole life of servanthood. Uh, Jesus came saying, I came not to be served, I came to serve. And He said, greatness is found in serving others. And then famously on his last night with his disciples, he washes their feet, which in that day was the job of a servant. It was the most menial of tasks. 
And after he washed their feet, he, he said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So in following Jesus, we're called to serve, but sometimes servanthood can be this thing that's a little difficult for our minds to get wrapped around. I remember uh, when I was 19 or 20, I was really passionate about kind of serving God with my life. I wanted to do what God wanted me to do. And I was trying to figure that out. And yet as a young follower of Jesus, I had kind of the idea that whatever I wanted to do for God, God probably wanted me to do the exact opposite. You know, to go exactly the, the opposite direction. I had this kind of warped idea that if I enjoyed doing it, it probably wasn't servanthood. What I, what I love about what we're talking about is that when God was racking his brain, as if God racks his brain, but <laughs> follow with me here. When God was racking his brain about trying to get us to understand that we're called to serve, the word he came up with was gift. It was gift. I love that. <laughs> You see, in my uh, warped understanding of servanthood, I probably would have given it the word chore, right? When I think of serving, I think chores, things my parents instructed me to do that I didn't want to do. Now, God wants us to understand that his idea of servanthood is, is gift. What can be better than a gift? Think birthdays. Think Christmas. All those things. Well, the Apostle Paul begins writing this uh, chapter, the one we're going to be looking at a little bit today uh, on gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, with a pretty strong sense of urgency. He begins by saying, now about the gifts of, of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant about this. In other words, this is kind of important. You need to know this. You need to get educated about spiritual gifts because it's God's design for you and it's God's design for how the church works and operates. The Bible says God has given Christ followers gifts, spiritual gifts that we're meant to live out of and serve out of. So discovering and, and using our spiritual gifts are a, a very important part of what it means to, to follow Jesus. And in fact, I would say in following up our last series where we were talking about abiding in Jesus, I think serving with our spiritual gifts are one of the ways that we abide with Jesus by actually getting and doing what he calls us to do. So it's a, a very important part of learning what it means to be a Jesus community. So what we're going to do over, uh, over today and in, in the next few Sundays is lay out some ground rules or principles with regards to spiritual gifts. Next Sunday, Dave Forsyth is going to be speaking uh, about discovering your spiritual gift. How do you do that? And Dave, just over my years of knowing Dave, he's got a special gift of teaching in this area, and he has helped many people unlock their gift. And so I, I don't want you to miss next Sunday. It's going to be a, a great morning where we examine and think about how, what gift do, has God given me? And you'll be able to, he'll give, be able to give me next steps on that. And then I'm going to be doing a talk where we ask the question, are all gifted? Addressing the issue of, of what about women? What's, what's their role in the church? What guidance does the Bible give us with regards to that topic? That'll be fun. And then finally, I hope. And then, we'll finally, we'll look at discovering the clues God gives us in order to make choices with regards to our life's work. How do we 
How, how do we know what we're supposed to do with our lives? How can we figure that out? What clues does God give us? But first again, can we just pray again that God would uh, meet us this morning uh, and speak to each of us? God, we, we love you, and we just thank you that you love um, you don't keep secrets, Father. You're always revealing yourself, and you don't want us to be in the dark about spiritual gifts. And so this morning I pray, would you just open us up in, in new ways to what you might, might be saying and what you would like us to do and respond uh, to your word, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, we're going to today uh, sort of unpack some, some ground rules or principles regarding spiritual, spiritual gifts. This is probably not all of them. And first, I want to cycle back to this whole idea of serving because, as I said, spiritual gifts are about serving. Now, we live in a consumer culture, probably one of the most consumeristic cultures in the world. And I, I want to ask you, in, in a consumer culture, what is the purpose in life? To consume, to consume, right? Some, some people in the first service said to buy, to purchase. But ultimately, it's, it's this idea of consuming. And, and you could put it this way, that what makes things go, what fuels life is to get your needs met at a cost that is, in some sense, affordable to you, beneficial to you, something like that, right? That's, that's consumerism. Well, the Bible says the thing that makes the church go is just the opposite. Service is putting, your need, putting other people's needs ahead of your own. Service is putting the, the needs of the community ahead of the individual. Or like Spock said at the very end of the Wrath of Khan when he was dying for the sake of the ship, uh, Spock said the, the needs of the many ahead of the needs of the few. Some of you have discovered that the wonderful secret of, of, with regards to serving, when you put the needs of others ahead of your own, there are benefits to that. There are perks that come when you serve. Tim Keller outlined three of these in a talk he gave. He says, first, you become more self-aware. Until you invest and, and, and get involved and until you serve, you really don't know what you're good at, Right? You got to try things. You really don't know who you are, but when you serve, you learn all kinds of things about yourself. You learn things you should be doing, maybe things you shouldn't be doing. Second benefit is community. Uh, consumerism is isolating, actually, isn't it? it, it consumerism is all about you getting your needs met, and doing that, pursuing that, makes you feel actually more alone. As soon as you begin to serve in a church, as soon as you begin doing things in the church, you start getting connected. And so service can actually lead to community. The third benefit is, is fulfillment. When you serve, you're, you're part of something bigger. You're part of something significant and meaningful that's touching people, that's making a difference. And it doesn't even matter if just you're, you're moving the chairs or you're greeting people as they come in the door. Uh, maybe you're not doing the, the talking or the praying or the, or the teaching, but but you're actually helping that happen and, and you're touching people's lives. So it's significant, it's meaningful. There's fulfillment that, there, that is there. Here's the paradox. There are huge benefits to serving, but if you serve to get the benefits, it's not service, so you don't get the benefits. <laughs> Isn't that frustrating? 
Service is, is not doing things in order to, to get your needs met. You don't serve to, to meet people. You don't serve to feel fulfilled. It's, it's a hard shift because even, even with servanthood, we tend to think like consumers, right? What does it do for me? But the reason for service is because Jesus has served you. And, and, and if he hadn't served you at infinite cost, you'd be spiritually dead. And, and he's done that. And, and, and when you serve, not to get your needs met, but just to serve out of response to all that God has done for you, God does something really amazing, and he blesses your socks off in all kinds of ways. There's, he brings all these kind of benefits. He meets all kinds of needs. But the first principle is, is we serve because Jesus served us. Second observation. This is kind of obvious, but spiritual gifts are from the Spirit. Really, what we're talking about is, is what happens when the Holy Spirit fills a, a group of people um, and what ha- comes along with that, in Acts chapter 2, we're told that was the day of Pentecost. The Spirit came, and, and Peter gets up to explain what had just happened, and, and he describes it using words from the prophet Joel, where God said, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. And, and actually, if you, you look at the story, the salvation history of the people of God in the Old Testament, it's like the Spirit was not poured out on all people. It was poured out on some people for a time, for specific jobs, for specific tasks that God gave them. So you had people like Solomon or David or, or others who were filled with the Holy Spirit for a season or for a part of their, their, their life as they served God. But now it's being poured out on all his people with the coming of the Spirit. And so when you read about the early church, these, uh, these first followers, they received the Spirit and they were just bursting at the seams with spirit activity. All kinds of amazing things were happening in those those environments. So to understand the gifts, we have to understand the context of the indiscriminate outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all of those who believe in Christ. God gives his spirit to all followers of him. The Holy Spirit, the ultimate gift giver, He's a better gift giver than, than, than any, any of us. We learn about the gifts of the Spirit primarily in three or four texts. Uh, Romans 12 is, is kind of a central one. And then 1 Corinthians 12 and then 14. Uh, Ephesians 4. Uh, you could look at 1 Peter 4. But Paul, in, in his texts, he'll, he'll typically list a, a bunch of gifts. And they're probably not an exhaustive group of gifts. Of gifts. There's maybe more than are listed even in Scripture. But Paul is very clear about uh, one thing to do with spiritual gifts. Everybody has one. Everybody has one. Uh, Verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12 says, A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Or as the NIV says, to each one, each person, The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Manifestation is is a big word that simply means visible expression. Um, There's not a single one of you here today, if you are a Christ follower, does not have a spiritual gift, who does not in some way visibly manifest God. 
God showing himself through you. You are not an exception to this rule. God, if you've been filled with his spirit, he gives you a spiritual gift. Paul goes on to say in the same chapter, God has arranged the spiritual gifts just as he wanted them to be. The Holy Spirit is Lord of the gifts. So this means a couple of things. Be thankful for the gifts you've got. And don't ask all kinds of questions as to why you've got the ones you've got. God decides. You can't kind of turn them in for a refund or an exchange, right? Um, if you don't like it. You, you have a gift. Everyone has at least one, and you probably have more. Paul makes another thing clear, though. He says, not, uh, he says no one has them all. Uh, I remember years ago doing a... Uh, a spiritual gifts class in, in our youth, cl- youth group. And um, I remember going through these, this list of gifts and this one kid's like, I think I have them all. <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah, probably not. I mean, according to Paul, you know, Paul actually in, in 1 Corinthians 12, he goes on to describe the, the workings of the body of Christ that's made up of these very diverse body parts, right? He, he, he compares the church to a body, saying that some are hands and some are knees and some are, you know, hips and uh, heads and all, all, we're all, we all make together, make up the body of Christ. And so he says, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. So you're gifted, yes, You have a gift, but you don't have them all. And part of that means that not having them all means we need each other to flourish as a church. We we can't be the church unless we truly are operating together with all of our giftedness together. I uh, I think I'm safe to say that God has given me a leadership gift. I think I've had that confirmed enough now over the years. Um... When I gave my life to Christ, that's something. I came, came to, became a Christian when I was about 17. And when I gave my life to Christ, that's something that came after. I don't remember having any leadership skill or ability before I came to Christ. It all seemed to come almost immediately after, actually, was I seemed to be in places where I was able to operate in that role of leader. Uh, so I think that's my spiritual gift, or one of them anyway. But there's lots of gifts that I don't have. Ask my wife. (laughs) Or ask anybody that works closely with me. There's lots of gaps there in my life. And and as we learn to be the body of Christ here at Hillside, I I think that's really helpful. I'm so glad that there are people like Lillian and Ron and Jocelyn and Jules who have administrative gifts. And there's people like Sandra and Ron and Marg and Elsie who have, administ- who have hospitality gifts. And there's people like Rebecca and Jerry and Brian who have gifts of discernment and I believe gifts of faith. There's people like Scott and Janine and Brett and Albert who have gifts of helps. They just seem to be able to come alongside and, and take care of practical things like nobody else can. All this to say, I, I, we need each other. We need this variety of gifts. We need people with gifts of healing to be operating in gifts of healing. We need people with gifts of prophecy to be operating in that, in that gifting and, and on and on and on. 
I wish I could have mentioned everyone's name here this morning. There's, I see there's some of you in the crowd going, what about me? What about me? You're gifted too. Um, by the way, even though there's people that have specific spiritual gifts, like they have a specific maybe calling because of that gifting, we still need to avoid something that uh, is probably pretty kind of important. What, what I might call gift cop-out. As in, yes, some people have mercy gifts, which means they're especially compassionate and empathetic to the needs of others. If I don't have that gift, can I say, sorry, that's not my gift? Can you, can you do that? No. Jesus calls all of us to exercise mercy and compassion to others. Some people are just better at it than you are but you're still called to do it. I mean, some people have a gift of generosity, but we're all called to give. And so we gotta be careful about this whole idea of copping out because it's not our gifts. It also means we're always gonna be in places where we need God because we're gonna be stepping in. I mean, somebody's gonna ask you to pray for them and you feel like, well, prayer's not my gift, sorry. You step up and you pray, and God, in your weakness, God uses even you. Maybe powerfully you. It's because when we're weak, he's strong, right? Amen? Okay, one of the other things Paul says in 1 Corinthians that I think is kind of timely in our culture is to be aware of bringing the celebrity culture of our world into the way we think about these things in, in the church, and Paul, Paul says in, in the church, there's no room for kind of an A list of gifts and a B list of gifts. This is kind of the thing I think that was happening in actually the Corinthian church that w- where this passage was written. But I think we can be tempted to order our place in the body or we can te- be ten- tempted to, to rank the gifts in according to our values and not according to Jesus' kingdom values. He was the one that said, The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And so we shouldn't hear from people, well, I just stack chairs, or I just serve in the nursery. Paul Paul challenges our view of things, our world's way of judging gifts, in verse 24 by saying, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body. Do you hear that concern for unity that's throughout these passages? There should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Paul's saying that the weaker parts of the body are actually indispensable and that God has given greater honor honor to the parts that lack it so that we'll have equal concern for each other. So there's no room in a Jesus community for sort of gloating over one's gifts, like I'm all that. But there's also no room in a Jesus community for saying I've got nothing to, to offer. Paul says everyone matters. This is why it's such a tragedy when some people say, what I have isn't worth giving, so I'm not going to give it. Everybody loses when we have that approach. Paul says everyone matters. Why? Verse 4, 5, and 6. There's different kinds of gifts, same spirit. Different kinds of service, same Lord. 
different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everything, it is the same God at work. Folks, what makes your gift precious is not that it's your gift. It's that God, by his spirit, has deemed you worthy enough to work through you. It doesn't matter what the gift is. Jesus said, even giving a cup of water to a thirsty person in his name will be rewarded, right? The simplest task is sanctified because of God, because God's in it. And that's what makes a spiritual gift so amazing is the spirit makes it holy in a sense, a holy offering to God. And so there's no such thing as a small gift. By the way, one of the implications that I just want to consider for a moment here is that just that we can sometimes do this whole gift cop-out deal, like that's not my gift, I think we can also be in danger at times of doing gift projection. Um, you, you hear about somebody who's got like a, just a great strength in a certain area of gifting. Like, like, for instance, that kind of person who when they travel on the plane, you know, Whoever they happen to be sitting by, you know, some guy who's far from God, an atheist, but by the end of their flight, this person has turned to Jesus and is getting baptized in the, you know, airplane bathroom at the end, as if that's going to happen. But th- th- this kind of thing actually happened. I think of Bill Bright, founder of Power to Change. Yeah, this, this is the kind of guy who had a, an obvious spiritual gift of evangelism. Now, the problem with that is that we look at a gift like that, maybe a person looks at and, and, and says one of two things. Either, I guess I'm supposed to be like that, or I guess I'm not, I, I know I can't be like that and therefore kind of feel like a second-class Christian. But it's kind of gift projection. I think I need to be like this person. But maybe even just as significant is a person with a special spiritual gift begins to project it on other people. Why, why aren't more people in our church like me? You know? Actually, because we need their gifting too, but uh, some of us uh, there's, feel that pressure uh, to actually conform the church. And when, that, when we have that going on, it, it creates a really difficult and, and divisive environment in our churches. And so we have to be mindful of that, that your passionate heart for some aspect of the church's ministry is probably a, an area of gifting for you, and you want to be cautious about not saying that everybody has to be like me or everyone has to have that same heart. Right? Amen? Okay. So be wary of gift projection. This all leads to maybe one of the most important principles when it comes to gifts. The distinction between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Um, It's been fun doing the Alpha course this last couple of months. And Angel and I have been leading uh, an Alpha table group. And uh, it's been really neat. At our, at our table, uh, we've had this couple who, new to Canada, uh, they come from a Muslim background. They've been in Canada just for a year and a half. And uh, they actually came connected through our skating event. And uh, it's a really neat story as to how they are felt, found themselves at our Alpha Course. But um, over several weeks, the Galatians 5 passage uh, that, where Paul outlines the, the fruits of the Spirit kept coming up. And the first time it came up, this, this guy, this newcomer to Canada who who's, has no Christian background at all was really taken by this verse. And, and so the first time, I think he's really smart, he actually memorized it. And the next week that it got mentioned, 
before it could get read, he actually spread it out. He says, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I, don't even, I, I, I think I didn't quite get them all there, but close, a few. But he would spout these off, and, and I, I was impressed. It, but it's because these, these qualities are so attractive. Um, he's so drawn to them. The fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit, you see the fruit is about character. And Christians are meant to have all of those fruits. These, these qualities, we're meant to be growing in all of those qualities. For Paul, being filled with the Holy Spirit and lacking good character doesn't make any sense to him at all. If the Holy Spirit is in us, there will be evidence. There will be fruit. Uh, <laughs> there will be God-like character. Spiritual gifts are, are far more about how we operate and function as a community. But here's the thing. Ultimately, we can mistake gifts for fruit. We can mistake the operation of a gift for the character of a person. And as someone once put it, gifts without fruit, gifts without character, are like, it's like a tire without air. It's kind of like, I, I might have all these pastor gifts, but if I'm a terrible husband, or a terrible father, or just a general all-around bad human being, how does that work out? Is that right? So this means it's more important to actually develop your character than your gifts. If you had to choose, you don't have to choose. But if you had to choose between gifts and fruit, you choose fruit every single time. And so if you're too busy actually using your gifts or you're too desirous to be recognized for your gifts and you're not cultivating your, your prayer life, you're not you know, actually walking out your journey with, with God or, or, you're not, or you're just kind of cruising spiritually, that, that means you're like traveling with deflated tires, right? You're not going to get very far or it's going to lead you into trouble. Who God shaping us to be and to become is more significant than what he wants to actually do through us, I believe. Or as 1 Corinthians 13 says, I can have all the gifts in the world, but if I have not love, I'm nothing. So if you have to choose, choose fruit. Good to have them both. Okay, another principle uh, scripture makes very clear is that we're each responsible for actually using and developing our gifts there's an accountability to this. Uh, Jesus told a parable, I think, that relates to this. Uh, some of you would know it in Matthew 25, parable of the talents. And it's about a master who is entrusting servants, three servants, with different resources. And the master goes away and wants to come back, and, and the master comes back and wants to see how they've actually done with the resources they've done. And, he, and the master commends those who've actually taken what he gave them and invested it, and, and used it, and, 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 and actually changed things with it, actually multiplied it. Where the master gets really disappointed is, is to that one servant who actually, in their own fear, or for, for whatever reasons, they buried it. They took that resource that the master had given and, and buried it. I think that's something that can happen sometimes with, with gifts. <laughs> can actually leave it undeveloped, leave it untouched, on the shelf, 
And the question is, why would somebody do that? Well, one reason may be that there is risk involved in using our spiritual gifts. Uh, I don't know if any of you remember, uh, John Orberg had this great book years ago called If You Want to Walk on Water, You Got to Get Out of the Boat, right? You remember that one? I mean, it's almost one of those books you don't even have to read the book because the title says enough for most of us that, like, you, you probably need to get out of the boat, right, if you want to walk on water. I, I think it's a, a good, good title. But he observes in that book, I did actually read it, uh, how anytime a gift is given, the recipient must choose to respond in one of two ways. And the first way is this, this gift is so valuable that it can't be risked. If I use it, things might not go well. Or others might look down on it. They might not like it. I, I, I might be embarrassed. It's, it's too risky to use. But the second way says this gift is so valuable, it's got to be risked. If I don't bring this gift out of the box, it'll, it'll never get used at all. As Ortberg says, he says, to leave the gift in the box is to, is to thwart the desire of the giver. He says there's no tragedy like the tragedy of the unopened gift. It's a gift. It's, it's the first thing you're called to do with a gift is take the wrapping off. And then you're not just supposed to look at it. You're supposed to actually do something with it. Take it out for a spin. Folks, I don't, I don't know what spiritual gifts God has given to every single one of you. I know some, and I, you, you guys are gifted. We are gifted people. But it's not good for those gifts to sit kind of on the shelf collecting dust for the rest of your life. God gave you those gifts for a reason. God gave them to you for a purpose. He gave them to you for your good. He wanted to bless you. And he gave them to you for the good of the world. So, so what do we do? Well, in, in 2 Timothy, Paul writes to a young leader named Timothy and he said this to Timothy, he said, take the gift that God has given you and fan it into flame. You know, basically, take this seed of a gift and actually grow it, blow on it, you know, nurture it, add fuel to it, make it big. And so kind of actually, one of our jobs is actually discerning just what is our spiritual gifts and then put them into play and then mature them. And, and, and I want to say this as your pastor, we, we want you to grow in this. We, we want to cheer you on in this. We want to help you discover what your giftedness is. And, and we believe that we need every single one of you deployed in this church. I'm so glad we are a church that's made up of people who serve. What a gift. We have a lot of people who serve. And I, I just think maybe there's even some adjustments, some redeployments that can take place as we discover more and more about how God has gifted each one of us. And I believe there's gifts in this church that we've been missing and we're waiting for. We want to see those kind of untapped. I, 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 that jacks my, I don't know where I was going with that metaphor. <laughs> Cranium, I don't know. That's terrible to start something where you don't know where you're going. It's usually better to have a destination. And, you know, um, I want to say to you, it, it might be a journey for you. 
But be willing to open that gift, whatever it might be, and just take it out for a spin and see what God might do through you. Final thought. You know, what? as I was thinking um, about God pouring out his spirit on his church and giving gifts to, of his spirit, one of the visions I have is just the kind of abundance there'll be in this church. Of the abundance. I, I think there's an... I, I don't think we even need to add a person. There's enough giftedness in this body right now to do what God has called us to do. Of need, and, I, and just a picture of needs getting met. Of, of, of hurts being overcome. Of, of, of abundance. Of lives being transformed. Vision and hope restored. Here's the, here's the thing, when a church begins to operate on the basis of giftedness, amazing things begin to happen. I don't, I don't know about you, but, but don't you think churches ought to have nurseries that, are, that uh, have people working there who actually love babies and are good with babies? Don't you think those who greeted our front, tr- front door ought to at the very least like people? You think? Maybe? God, God says the church ought to be led by leaders and taught by teachers and administrated by administrators and given hospitality by, by people with, with those gifts. And wouldn't the church be an irresistible force in, in our community and in our lives and in our world if we stepped out together in that way? I think so. So how do you discover what your gifts are? Well, we're going to think about that quite deeply next week. But my quick take, take on it is this, and maybe this is just a, more about posture than anything. Let me ask you the question. Are you open to serving Jesus with your life? It kind of starts there. Um, is your life at this point in your journey match up more with the world's definition of success which ultimately is about being a consumer? Or have you heard the call of Jesus on your life where he says, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Come, serve like me. Jesus makes that invitation to you today. And, and, and again, I don't think there's a better life. I think he knows how we're made. We're wired this way. We were made to serve so I think it starts kind of with this openness of, of just being willing to say to Jesus, I'm willing to serve you, you wherever you want me to serve. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be a bystander. I'm not going to be, be sitting a, as a spectator, um, you know, kind of watching the game, showing up every Sunday. Uh, we can show up at church and be consumers, right? We can treat church in a very consumptive way. And God, God, I, God, I think he's saying to some of us, just, hey, step off the sidelines and get in the game. Do you hear that call? I know, I know that some of you are hearing it. Um, again, we may have to lay down kind of our warped idea of what we think serving is from a sense of it's going to be a chore to the idea that this is a gift. Let me wrap up with just uh, one thought. I was thinking this week about uh, Christmas in our house. I, I love celebrating Christmas. And uh, part of it, the part of the joy for me is, is that in our house, I'm the primary gift buyer, okay? We got two boys, 
And over the years, it's been primarily left to me. I think they would have been given sweaters and pants if it had been left up to their mother. I'm just, I don't know. It was, you never had the chance, did you? Uh, I always just kind of took that on, and I, I sort of dreamed and schemed. And, and for months before Christmas, I'd be keeping my ears open to what they were into to find what was the appropriate gift for them. And I, it didn't always, you know, I don't think I always hit, hit, hit it out of the park, but there were those Christmases where I remember wa- watching the faces of my sons as they would unpack something that I'd, I'd purchased for them, and to see their eyes light up, and they were so excited. And, uh, and then even better than that is, is they'd open it up and it would be something interactive. I, I remember the Meccano race car that I almost regret buying my son because for the next three days over the Christmas break, he and I had these little tiny stupid screwdrivers. <laughs> and for every screw we put in, we had to unscrew another one because we'd made a mistake. It was crazy hard, this thing. But he and I both look back at that car. He's kept that car in a cherished position. And you wouldn't believe how many times he'd say something like, Dad, remember the car? This is 10 years ago that we did this together. Remember the car, Dad? Remember the car? Our Father loves you and knows you more than anyone. And he's given gifts perfect for you. And it's like Christmas morning, and he's looking at you, and he's looking at that gift. And I don't know, there's probably some anticipation that you're going to open that, and the excitement that there's going to be on his face as you open that gift and step out and start operating in that. And I get the sense that just like I love playing with my sons, with their toys, that was was part of the joy for me. I suspect our father is is saying to to most of us this morning that actually serving spiritual gifts, this whole deal, is, is mostly about this. Come play with me. Come play with me. Let's have an adventure. Let's go for it. Team, you want to come up and let's, let, would you bow your heads and let's pray together. Jesus, I sense you're, you're giving that invitation to us this morning. You're, you're, like, I mean, uh, there's a lot I don't know about spiritual gifts. I, I, Father, we, we want to learn more as a community. But I hear ultimately you saying those words to this body this morning. Come play with me. I've got I've got adventures for you you've never dreamed of. Let's go do something meaningful together, significant together. Things that we'll be looking back years from now and pointing to and say, remember when we did that together? God, uh, you call us to serve, which is so counter to our world's ways. We look at Jesus and, and we're drawn to his way, but Lord... We can only live that way by your spirit. And so again, as we've been praying in recent months, fill us with your spirit today. (laughs) Fill us with your spirit. Give us gifts. Give us new gifts that we might serve you with great joy. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.